0: Welcome to The Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this
1: week. She decided that it would be lovely to come over to the UK to say hello and explore the UK and and stay with me. She suggested that to help fund the trip, uh, she would like some money from me.
2: When the forster is in your phone, they can contact you anytime and they will contact the victim late at night and early in the morning, reducing the cognitive capabilities of that victim because they're making them sleep deprived.
3: When something as wildly out of character as suddenly sending huge sums of money abroad happens... You have to ask some serious questions there around why the bank isn't stepping in.
0: Today, with consumer expert Adam French, we'll be shining a light on the cruel world of romance fraud, unpacking how these scammers operate and how to spot the signs of a dating fraudster. Plus, we'll hear from one victim who lost nearly £4,000 as we discuss how banks decide whether to compensate and what to do if you come across a scam. We are Witch. At the heart of romance scams is this idea of catfishing, where you create a fake profile to attract someone online. You might have seen it on the American TV show Catfish or the recent UK spin-off. Just a few weeks ago, a friend of mine sent me a photo from a guy's dating profile. Then one, he later sent her over chat and we spent some time working out if there was any chance it could be the same person. But it's not illegal to catfish someone, though some believe it should be. Adam, how does it go from catfishing, maybe harmless, but annoying, even heartbreaking, to romance fraud?
3: Well, catfishing, the sort of creating of this, this fake profile to attract someone online, in and of itself isn't a crime, although quite a few organisations and people think it should be. Um, It's when this catfishing, this fake profile luring someone in then can escalate over the course of many months in some cases where someone is manipulated to a point where they believe they are in a relationship with this person who they've met online and are then convinced to send money uh, to this person for often very carefully introduced reasons. Um, This is very different a lot of kind of scams we talk about fairly often that they often scams are dependent on making you make really snap decisions um without necessarily thinking them through uh introducing that level of i need to act immediately here or something bad's gonna happen that's why kind of things like We've had a load of phone calls lately about your national insurance number has been compromised. There's a warrant out for your arrest. Those kind of scams typically are designed to get you to think, oh, God, I'm going to be arrested. I need to do something, um, you know, and get you thinking about that immediate repercussions. Now, where romance fraud is is different and extremely manipulative and nasty is that often you'll find these catfish profiles, these fake profiles will work people over for months uh, and months and months to convince them they are in a, a real relationship um, before then this request for money comes in. And it may start as a small amount to start with and then steadily build up to become more and more and more until you hear from people who lose their life savings um, to what they they believe to be you know love. And ultimately, it's a really, really nasty scam. And it's not just the financial impact these kind of scams have as well. It's the emotional and mental health impact of it is absolutely devastating as well. I mean, I talk a lot about scams, but this is without doubt the nastiest of the lot um, to, to to take advantage of people's emotions in this way, especially looking at the 18 months we've all just gone through. A lot of people have been stuck at home, isolating, lonely. Turning to talk to people online is a real solace. And actually people taking advantage of that in this way. Uh, horrific, utterly horrific.
0: Well, that's it. I'm sure it will come as no surprise to listeners that during the pandemic, while many of us were confined to the four walls of our homes, there was a boom in online dating. I've got here that in March 2020, Tinder recorded its highest number of swipes on a single day. It's 3 billion. Um, From March to May 2020, OkCupid saw a 700% increase in dates. And on Bumble, video calls increased by 70%. It is kind of nice that people were looking for love or something along those lines during the tough time of the pandemic. But with this also came an increase in romance fraud, as you've already kind of mentioned, Adam. I'm sure I've said this to you before on the podcast, but so often it seems to come back to how scammers see the times we live in as an opportunity, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely that. I mean, it has presented this this extraordinary opportunity for scammers. Um, we were all stuck at our, our computers, our desks, our, our sofas. And, you know, they have taken advantage of that. Now looking at um action fraud data here, so that's the the reporting body, um, the police body where we are supposed to report um attempted scams to, um, romance fraud reports up forty percent. Um, year on year, uh, the amount lost to romance fraud uh, reached seventy three point nine million pounds in the year to april two thousand twenty one and that's almost 8,000 reports that 's almost eight thousand reports action fraud have received and the scary stuff here is you know we know that only around one in seven scams ever actually get reported to action fraud. so the true figure is almost definitely higher and actually, I remember five years ago now, back in two thousand and sixteen, I looked into. Uh, a separate story on on dating sites and scams there and fake profiles. And then the amount being lost was around £27 million. So you can see in these five years, the amount being lost is, is going through the roof. This is just growing and growing as a crime. And then back in 2016, we did find that around one in two people felt they had seen what was a fake profile. On one of these dating sites or apps so it's pretty clear to see that these sites these apps allowed these fake profiles to go up there and then they're being used to manipulate people into transferring money to fraudsters and that is still a growing problem um across the board and scammers taking advantage of say the pandemic and the fact that a lot of people are going to be lonely at this point in time
0: and as you say, the actual figure is likely to be much higher of the number of fraud cases, especially with this kind of fraud. It's understandable, really, because if the added emotions involved with romance scams, people might not want to come forward to report them, though they absolutely should. And we'll get into more detail on how later on. But for this episode, we're really thankful to have been able to catch up with someone speaking about their experience as a victim of romance fraud. He's asked us not to use his real name, so we'll refer to him as David in the show. And here's his story.
1: I went on a dating site called Older Dating Online. Um, Somebody came on and said they were interested in talking, but they didn't like to use that platform. So... They um, gave me an email address and we started communicating on there. It was nice to chat. She sounded really nice. After a short time, say a month or two, she decided that it would be lovely to come over to the UK to say hello and explore the UK and and stay with me. A couple of days after that, um, she suggested that to help fund the trip uh, she would like some money from me. I succumbed to to send her that money, and that was the start of the process. And then, having received a phone call from some Russian authorities, which probably weren't Russian authorities at all, saying, "Have you given this money?" Um, putting confidence in me that everything was going according to plan. She then asked for some more money, which I gave again. And that was for sufficient funds being in her account in order for her to be able to travel in the first place. So again, some nice mails followed. And a third mail came eventually and said her father had caught COVID So she couldn't come at this time. Could I send some more money? And at this stage, I got very suspicious indeed. Uh, I didn't reply to that third request at all. And I contacted my bank. My bank made inquiries. And because the funds had been withdrawn already, there was absolutely nothing they could do because it was in a foreign country. I think if it was in the UK, it might have been a different story. So action fraud couldn't do anything for the same reasons. That was basically it. My funds had been paid. The funds had been collected by a very lucky recipient. And I was out of pocket by some margin.
0: Firstly, thanks so much to David for sharing his story with us. He's just one of many who have been in touch with us since we began our investigation. And as we've already heard, Action Fraud has had nearly 8,000 reports of romance fraud over the last year. So this really is just the tip of the iceberg. Now, David lost almost £4,000 in bank transfers, which his bank refused to refund. And he's now brought a complaint to the Financial Ombudsman Service to try and get the money back. Adam, it's been nearly two years since a protection was brought in for victims of bank transfer scams like David. Can you give us some background on this and explain why then might David's bank have refused to reimburse the money?
3: Well, as you heard in, in David's story, then um, where you actually lose the money is where you carry a bank transfer to send money from your account to another account. And the key player there is the bank. And um, that's a facilitator where you can lose money to all manner of different types of scams. Um, so a few years ago, we put in a super complaint with um, the payment service regulator who regulate our payments made. Uh, and said that actually there's a greater protection needed here for consumers so that you stand a better chance of getting your money back when you have been the victim of a scam that was facilitated by bank transfer. Now let's not forget this system, this authorized push payment system, the faster payments has been set up by banks to allow them to do their jobs easier, to move money around a lot quicker. Um one repercussion of this was that consumers are now more vulnerable to this type of fraud. So they do have a role to play here in making sure we're protected. Now what came off the back of that was um a reimbursement code, um, which has been in place since May uh, 2019, uh, the latest version of that. And that aims to reimburse um, victims of of this kind of fraud. Um, we know that under this code, around 40% of all losses have been returned to romance fraud victims in particular since 2020, which is a big increase from the months before the code was introduced. And that's sort of the latest version of that. It does mean that you know where you are not, being negligent or or to blame for the fraud, then you should be able to recover some or all of your money from your bank. Now, the challenge we see here with with David's case, um, in particular, is where you transfer money um to an account that's based abroad, and then the code doesn't quite apply in the same way. Jurisdictional issues come into play actually recovering the money and, and holding stuff to account can be really, really difficult. Um, and it is something that people have to really look out for and where romance fraud in particular can take advantage of often you'll be speaking to someone who's based abroad and has a fairly believable reason for wanting that money to be transferred to a bank account in another country. And that's where this code is a bit toothless uh, and really struggles to um, help people in those circumstances. But even here in the UK, getting your money back is... A bit of a lottery. Not all of the banks and building societies are signed up to it because this code, whilst there was a super complaint, whilst we push really hard for it, it's still voluntary. Um, so there's some big banks, um, Coop Bank, Monzo, Tesco Bank, Virgin Money, not signed up to it when they should be. And then when we look at the reimbursement rates across the banks, they can vary quite wildly and widely. Um, you know, Barclays have had a really good move recently, and start publishing their reimbursement rates under this code, and that's a real positive as well um but ultimately the picture here i'm I'm, I'm trying to paint is it's really inconsistent it's really difficult and even those banks that are signed up to this code it's it's dramatically inconsistent between those as well ultimately if you are in this situation where you have lost money to a scam via bank transfer whether it's romance fraud or any other type of fraud your first step should be to turn to your bank and to try and get a refund and say look under the reimbursement code you should be reimbursing this to me. Um, But ultimately, we're seeing this inconsistency. There is another organization out there, the Financial Ombudsman Service. They are statutory backed. And they're there basically to allow you to appeal complaints to if your bank or any other financial institution doesn't deal with your complaint. Um, You can then escalate it to the ombudsman. The decisions they make, your financial institution has to stick to. And we're seeing a lot of cases being upheld at the ombudsman where the bank refused to reimburse, but actually... Uh, When a consumer takes it, the ombudsman says, no, they should have got their money back. So there is a route you can take it to. Uh, If the bank hasn't done enough to try and recover your money, the ombudsman can then step in and make them refund you. But you have to be aware there's a big backlog at the ombudsman as well, and cases can take more than a year to be reviewed. Um, So all in all, you know, horrible situation uh, for scam victims to find themselves in. Not only have you been manipulated in this way, not only have you gone through the emotional distress that's caused, but the system as it stands at the moment is incredibly inconsistent and slow when it comes to recovering what could be a huge sum of money um that you're kind of reliant on. So, you know, it's a it's not not a lot of good news there, I'm afraid. It's a pretty horrible situation.
0: And in David's case, we don't know whether he made the payments in branch or online and whether his bank did any checks or asked questions before releasing the payments. But one of the fundamentally awful things about romance scams is that victims are tricked into believing they're involved in an intimate relationship. So even if their bank grills them about their story, they might feel completely sure they're not being scammed. It's like you said earlier, Adam, romance scams are different from from other scams in that you you perhaps aren't required to make a snap quick decision and it is across a long period of time that they're they're working on you and so in this case should it be on the bank to spot the warning signs at the time payments abroad out of the blue etc and could they ultimately refuse to allow the payment
3: I always think of my credit card when it comes to to things like this and if you ever use your credit card when you're abroad, I use it to pay for a hotel once in Germany. Uh, and within five minutes of paying for that hotel, I had a phone call from a credit card company saying, Is this you? Have you just paid for this? You know, what's going on? We've blocked your card until you can answer some security, you know, all that kind of stuff happens because they're concerned that you're spending their some scammer or someone might have stolen your details and is spending their money. Uh, but when it comes to transferring your own, those checks aren't anywhere near as stringent. And when something as wildly out of character as suddenly sending huge sums of money abroad happens, you have to ask some serious questions there around why the bank isn't stepping in and actually you know, asking the key questions. Are you sure about sending that money? This, these are the watch warning signs of scams. We see this happen all of the time. They, you know, they have this kind of knowledge. They see this happen to people's accounts all the time. Yet those sort of proactive steps aren't being taken in the same way. Um, and there's so much more banks could be doing to do that. And ultimately, if you made this voluntary code mandatory, and all of these banks were being hit in, in the pocket, really, um, because they weren't putting up the right checks and balances in place to stop these. Scam transfers from happening, then you might find they're a lot more proactive in preventing it from happening in the first place. Um, ultimately, a bank could refuse to allow a payment to go through and lock you out of your account. But if you, you know, go through all the security checks and insist you want to transfer it, the bank really should be doing that as well. And this is where something like romance fraud, in particular, can be so difficult because you're. Convinced you're doing the right thing, you're doing it for love, and that is a very, very hard emotion to combat. Um, yeah, romance fraud is just uh, horrifically difficult, and and you know, there's banks can do more to protect people, but there's also a responsibility on dating sites as well and, and preventing things like catfishing. And you know, it's part of a bigger puzzle, um, and there's no one easy fix for for scams. Unfortunately, it's a lot of these, particularly online companies, now. They've opened up a lot of easy communication, easy ways of transferring money, but it comes with a responsibility as well to protect users. And I just feel like there's a gap there at the moment that does need to be addressed.
0: And should dating profiles have a more stringent process where they're making checks, perhaps using identification uh, to allow these profiles online?
3: Certainly that, that could be one way of resolving the problem um you know we don't i don't know exactly what the solution there is for these dating sites and whether there's some privacy risks for example with with verifying your identity for example but there should be a way of verifying profiles as as legit just like you know a blue tick on twitter even though that's slightly different um but there must be a way of verifying you are who you say you are and ultimately that's a problem that cuts across, actually, use social media as an example. We know there's a huge problem on on Twitter, for example, with fake profiles and bots and people trolling from anonymous accounts. Now, there's this anonymity online, which is a real positive, um, but also a real negative on stuff like that. And I think where you see areas of particular harm, like dating sites, for example, to be able to act with that level of anonymity um, and to be able to use fake profiles and catfishing to defraud people in this way that it has to be taken seriously and as either advice you give users of your site to watch out for the telltale signs of romance scams, but also that proactivity is probably needed to say, actually, you know, we have to stamp down on, on catfishing and fake profiles. And that not only protects users, but also if users are aware that a lot of profiles are fake, um, they're probably not going to stay with that dating site for too long. Um, because what's the point in speaking to fake people if you're looking for love, right? So Oh, really, there's longer term, there's damage to be done to the brand of that dating site as well if they can't get to grips with with fake profiles as well.
0: Now, after a quick break, we'll be digging deeper into the mind of a romance scammer with a fascinating lecturer in criminology. Also, find out what support is available for victims and how to protect yourself.
3: Hello, Witch Money podcast listener. Sorry to interrupt. I'm Greg, and I'm the presenter of the new Witch Investigates podcast. Our first season focuses on putting claims of sustainability under the spotlight. From plant-based to plastic-free, eco-travel to electric cars, I'm finding out what can genuinely reduce our environmental footprint and what is simply greenwashing. The first few podcasts are available now. New episodes of Witch Investigates drop on Fridays and you can search wherever you're listening to this podcast. Oh, and if you do enjoy it, please do rate and review Witch Investigates on Apple Podcasts and give the Witch Money podcast a good old review and all the stars too while you're there. That's it from me. It's back to you, Cheer.
0: Thanks, Greg. And this week's episode from Which Investigates is looking at how green electric cars really are, which is super interesting given the claims and of course the timing just after the G7. Now, back to romance fraud and for a closer look at the inner workings of these scams and how these criminals operate. I've been speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Carter from the University of Roehampton. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. So as a forensic linguist and lecturer in criminology, you've analysed how romance scammers use language to create a seemingly loving relationship and persuade people to hand over their money. Can you talk us through the patterns you've found and the techniques these scammers are using?
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Fraudsters use some very sophisticated language techniques to make victims feel as though they are compelled to um, join into this relationship and eventually um, give money to in in a way that they wouldn't normally give money to other people. It is is a grooming process. Mm. And a lot of my work is trying to unpack the language that's used by fraudsters uh, to compel people to do these things that they otherwise wouldn't do. Uh, one of these things is they um, uh, produce what's what I've termed a, a visceral response, which is a response that um, shows some kind of psychological or physical damage that's going on in their lives, that they would then compel mm-hmm. the the victim to try and protect the fraudster. Then this this is quite different from how we would normally think of forsters. We'd normally think of them perhaps as overbearing and threatening. But in many cases of romance frauds, forsters actually position themselves as weak and
0: vulnerable and in need. So that might be pulling at the heartstrings in some way. Some kind of sad backstory is is that the kind of thing you come across.
2: Yes, absolutely. And it can be really subtle as well. So in the case of a a female fraudster in particular, for example, they might be saying that they're in a living situation that might be a bit precarious. So they they might not have somewhere to sleep or they might be living in a house share with with a load of men that they feel a little bit vulnerable around. Uh, They might not even ask the victim for help, but they position themselves in a a, a place of vulnerability that compels somebody to try and help them. Uh, And that's where the power is really because very often fraudsters won't directly ask for money or they won't directly Mm -hmm. ask for help. They will give put all all of the elements in place and make the victim make those connections and be the one that offers help.
0: And Elizabeth, can you talk about some of the other techniques and methods you've seen? We heard from someone earlier on the podcast who was speaking to someone on a dating website who then asked them to move to chatting over email. So they had to give over their their personal email address. And I've heard also about this technique being used, trying to, to move you across to WhatsApp, for example. How does this all work? Absolutely. This is one of the key things that fraudsters do.
2: So they they will try and move their target victim away from the protections that are available on dating apps, on online dating, and onto the more personal methods of communication. So WhatsApp or Messenger or any kind of uh, communications on your phone. Now, this does a, a couple of different things. Number one, it takes you away from those protections from from online dating apps, but also it moves the fraudster into a sphere of, of uh, familiarity with the victim alongside friends and family on, on these messaging services. It also enables the fraudster to message anytime, day or night. Um, with dating apps, the victim has to actually access those app, apps to um, communicate with the fraudster. It, they're in control. But when the forster is in your phone, they can contact you anytime and they will contact the victim late at night and early in the morning, reducing the cognitive capabilities of that victim because they're making them sleep deprived.
0: And the pandemic, in a way, has created a kind of perfect storm for romance scams to take place, you know, with people in lockdown, more isolated and interacting less with loved ones, for example. From your research, how has the pandemic played a role in the recent romance fraud you've seen and the ways in which these criminals are targeting people? The
2: pandemic has been a perfect storm, really, because it's moved mm. people into the online arena where they no- wouldn't normally be. Uh, so they, they might not be familiar with the protections, ha- how to protect themselves. But also people are seeking social connections online much more because we have been so mm. isolated. So so there, there's this double, double whammy here, really. And also it has moved fraud into the online arena too. So there's people in this online arena that haven't really been there before. They're seeking more connections, whereas normally it would be personal and face-to-face. And in that very arena, there are many more fraudsters trying to apply their trade where they can't do
0: in face-to-face frauds. And you've done some work into why some people might be more susceptible to romance scams than others. It's really interesting, this idea that you might have certain characteristics that, that make you more likely to be susceptible to, to one of these kinds of scams. Can you tell us more about this? Well, this is what's really interesting
2: because it is thought that there would be certain characteristics that make people more vulnerable or not. But really what I found is that not only is there a scam for everybody, there's a type of fraud for everybody. The pandemic particular has made everybody vulnerable to fraud. People who are vulnerable to to fraud are people in situations um, such as they might have job worries, money worries, health worries. They might be lonely or isolated. Um, they might have had a recent bereavement. Um, they might be um, have some unhappiness in their life. So that they might have, um, have some work troubles um, or they might recently be divorced, for example. Um, so as you can see, it's, it's a whole array of work And life situations that can make people more vulnerable. So there isn't any one type of vulnerability. And because this is a grooming process, what the fraudster does is very subtly try and get this information from their victim in order to to, to then exploit it. So it's very important, um, as tempting as it is to exchange information like you normally would at the beginning of a relationship, it's really important to just check how much information you are giving
0: away because this can be harnessed by fraudsters. Elizabeth, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, as there are so many negative narratives and stereotypes about the kinds of people who fall victim to romance scams. But it's important to stress that this can happen to anyone. And given the last year we've all had, where many of us haven't seen friends and family and colleagues, in some ways, I think it can be easier to relate now as we've all experienced isolation to some degree, and that plays such a big part, doesn't it?
2: Isolation is absolutely key. You're right. Um, it's, it's one of the things that fraudsters do is try and isolate individuals from their friends and families, um, because the grooming process only really works if the victim can't seek support from from outside of that, of this bubble of grooming. So I would give advice uh, to people who are in a relationship. They may believe it's a completely legitimate relationship and it may well be. But my advice is to talk to your friends, talk to your family, keep them closer than you would in an ordinary face-to-face relationship, because this is the number one way you can protect yourself. Just have somebody in, you know, as a wing person, if you will, um, next to you in that relationship. And a really key point here is that the person you're talking to, the person you're in a relationship with, If they are a genuine person or even, you know, just a decent person you want a relationship with, they will not mind if you are taking steps like this to protect yourself. And if they do mind, that's a huge warning sign.
0: Adam, in terms of reporting a scam and getting support if you need it, Elizabeth mentioned action fraud there. What's involved in reporting a scam and what additional help is available if it has taken a toll on your mental health?
3: When you're reporting something to Action Fraud, um, it's kind of a bit it's a fairly basic process. To be honest, it's an online form you fill in, or a phone number you can call uh, and let them know what's happened to you. Now, what you need to be aware of when you report things to Action Fraud is the likelihood of your individual report being investigated, someone being held to account for that criminal act that has been committed, is pretty low. Um, it's more of a stats and data gathering exercise. Although some crimes are distributed to different law enforcement to then investigate, but often it will be holding to account for a, these are criminal gangs often behind these these scams, and they're then being part of a bigger piece of evidence um, against them. The good thing about reporting things to action fraud, though, is that it makes it makes sure that scams and fraud are captured as part of our national crime statistics, and that is what decides where resources allocated and what to be taken seriously by government and law enforcement. So by reporting scams, the long game there is that more resource will be dedicated to tackling scams, preventing these from happening in the future. But I wouldn't, in all honesty, expect much of a resolution personally from coming, going to action fraud. But the bigger picture is it could lead to change in the future. Um, you best bet if you've been the victim of a scam uh, and they've cost you financially is to get onto your bank as quickly as possible. That's, that's the best bet of getting your your money back in the majority of cases. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's not just the financial harm there. It's also the emotional harm that, that these scams cause. And there are a couple of organizations that we here at Wich um, do do recommend. Uh, first of all, there's Mind, um, which has a confidential uh, has got confidential information And a support line, uh, they're a really good mental health charity. Um, If you had to, mind.co.uk, there's loads of information on there, on mind.org.uk, sorry, and there's loads of information available at its site and it's got a phone line you can call up. Lines are open 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday to Friday. Um, Really, really good. There's also another organisation which provides um, victim support. It's victimsupport.org.uk. They have a free helpline where you can speak to someone confidentially, and that's open 24-7 as well, particularly focused on victims of scams. So there is emotional support out there if you want to speak to someone in confidence. Um, I also feel there's a need to change uh, the way we look at scams in society, and actually there's an embarrassment and shame around this stuff that there really shouldn't be. You wouldn't be embarrassed to have said, Your car's been stolen your house has been robbed you'd be like you'd be telling people and looking for support from your your immediate network your friends and family and actually scams is exactly the same kind of thing it is a crime being committed the people behind these crimes are they're professional scammers it's their it's their profession it's their job as as unpleasant as it is they're very good at what they do there shouldn't be this level of embarrassment around it um and that's something to tackle as a society. And that means you'd be confident talking to friends and family about it. And that means sharing knowledge and information, people spotting the warning signs of scams. You know, that's another key societal shift we need to really tackle this. Um, so those things combined, you know, really helps. And the more people that speak about scams in their networks um, will help erode that sense of shame and embarrassment as well. And I think that's a really important step. But Certainly there are confidential sources of support out there, I'd encourage you if you're comfortable to do so and you have friends and family you can speak to, then break down that barrier as well and start speaking to people about it. If you want to stay on top of the latest scams and actually a really good resource for talking about scams with your friends and family, sharing the latest information on scams, we've actually launched um, a scam alert email service, which you can sign up for with which, which.k4 slash scam alert. All the information is there to sign up to. It. And you'll get a weekly update of the latest scams that we're aware of. And you know, talking to people who use that email, it's a really good resource to then open up those conversations with friends and family about scams, the latest scams that are happening and making sure collectively, we're a bit more alert to these latest scam risks. Um, to help feed into that, we've also got a scam reporting tool, which is allows you to inform us about the latest scams you've seen as well. Uh, And that way we can use that information to then get warnings out to people, get scam websites taken down, get warnings out via action fraud and other official bodies as well. So there's a lot of good around information sharing and actually having these conversations and we're giving you the information you need to have those conversations. Scams is the biggest growing crime in the UK and has been for a few years now. and um, We do need to have that shift as a society to talk about it. And we've got resources here at which that enable and empower you to do so. So I really encourage anyone who's concerned by scams at the moment, to sign up for those, uh, get the information in your inbox, and hopefully you can help protect yourself and your loved ones as well
0: thank you so much to adam for joining us today and thank you for listening to today's show as always if you've got a comment or question on anything we've mentioned please let us know in the comments wherever you're listening to the podcast or on social media at which money and again for more on scams and to sign up to our scam alert service visit which.co.uk forward slash scams This episode of the Witch Money podcast was recorded and edited by Vince North, produced by Rob Lilly, with additional support from Ian Aikman
1: and Kim Carver. And a special thanks to Chiara Cavalieri.